Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Allahümme salli ala seyyidina Muhammedin fil evvelin ve salli aleyhi fil ahirin ve salli aleyhi fi kulli vaktin mahin ve salli aleyhi fil medel ala ila yumiddin. Allahümme salli ala seyyidina Muhammedin fatih lima uhlikin khatim lima sabiq nasirun haqqi bil haqqi bil hadi ila siratikal müstakim ve ala alihi haqqa qadrihi ve miqdarihin azim. Bismillah. Feels a little bit. Is it clear? Feels a little bit less clear than usual. It's okay. It's normal. Okay. All right. So, alhamdulillah, welcome back after a month break. And then after today, we have like a three-week break again. So, alhamdulillah. To be honest, I don't like breaks. You know, but uh, people like them, apparently. On my father's, my father's son, you know, some of you know that old school. <laughs> my father never took his days off. He would wait till the end of the year, and then they would pay him for them. So he preferred it that way. <laughs> I don't recall him ever taking a day off sick in his entire like career. You know, Allah guide him and bless him and increase him. But alhamdulillah, we have some days off and then we'll continue inshallah. Some of the other, uh, some of the shiuch that we've studied with and things, they would often say that when there are breaks in the classes, it's a good time to review and consolidate your notes, right? So alhamdulillah, actually with the majlis over the last couple of years, we've actually done a lot of classes. Many of them are still for free on the YouTube page and on the SoundCloud pages and stuff. So, uh, breaks are a good time to consolidate. Inshallah, Bismillah. So, we'll, we'll continue where we left off in this book called Futuwa, Noble Character by Dr. Rajab Senturk. And <coughs> as we talked about before, this idea of Futuwa is an idea of uh, basically what are the teachings of Islam on how to develop noble character and what does noble character look like and that is a application or an understanding we could say of what it means to follow the sunnah of the prophet so a big part of the sunnah of the prophet is this that he is the embodiment of what noble character looks like and a lot of you know uh, as we always talk about like there's Islam is very difficult and it's very simple. It's very complex and it's very straightforward, right? If you sit down and you study books of theology and aqidah and ilm and kalam and philosophy and all of these things, it's very difficult, right? If you get into the details of the law and why do you say this versus that, and when do I take this position versus that position, all these other kinds of things, it can become very difficult. And yet in the reality of things, things are actually very simple. It's very simple, right? Allah is one. Prophets exist. Prophet Muhammad was the last of those prophets. There's a day of judgment. People are held accountable. We should live our lives in a good way. It's pretty, pretty simple, right? <coughs> the shortcut on these things, really, is when we have people in our lives that show us what Islam is. And the opposite of the shortcut is when we don't have people in our lives, or when we have people in our lives who don't show us what Islam is. 
And they might both be Muslims, just to be clear on this, right? It very well may be that we have Muslims in our lives who don't really help us very much in understanding what our religion is and how to put it in place. And it could be that we have other people who we spend time with them and subhanAllah it changes, uh, it's, it's just a different experience. Um, so we want to always combine between these things as we talk about all the time right? we want to try to obtain a sound understanding of what Islam is based on knowledge right? we don't want to be ignorant people we want to understand what these things are and when we approach Islam to understand it in terms of knowledge we want to always be careful of what we've mentioned before that to remind ourselves that uh, information isn't necessarily knowledge. So one of the things that's very common with the Muslim community is you see people, you see, you see, and you meet people who, mashallah, their information on Islam is tremendous. They have all kinds of information. They give you a million trivia points: this thing and this thing and this thing and this. Thing. But they can't really draw a picture from it. Right, so there's a lot of dots on the paper, but you're not really sure what this thing is coming out to be in the end. And that's why I said when we have people who show us what Islam is they make pictures out of those dots and the picture makes sense and that's what the Prophet was for the teachings of Islam and is for the teachings of Islam that for, for the people who are with the Prophet and they're learning the Quran they're, they're, and he's immediately translating it to them what it's supposed to look like it becomes very clear For Western Muslims, I think that this is a big challenge. For Muslims in general, it's a challenge. But I think for Western Muslims, we've, we've generally, um, I don't know, it's kind of like the Wild West. You know, it's, it's just the Wild West. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has something to say. Everyone has this, that. And there's podiums and platforms given and like all kinds of just insanity. And then you feel like you're, like, you know, the Tasmanian devil. In the cartoons, the Tasmanian devil like gets riled up and then turns into a tornado, right? Just the whole thing like gets riled up, turns into a tornado, and you're like, wait, it, it ends, and you're like, wait, wh what happened? Like, are we here? Are we not here? Did we, uh, you know, may Allah help us? So, Nubu uh, Futuwa, Futuwa is about trying to understand what this noble character looks like. It's really a distillment of what are the teachings of the Sunnah. What is the actual teaching of the Sunnah? It's a distillment. There's something I want to say. I don't know if I should say it, and I don't know if it will be understood, but I'll just say it anyway since I already started. Which is that when we can find people like this, uh, it's really it's hard to explain. Like, I, I, I feel like I studied Islam for many years before I found people like this. Like, I even graduated a program in Sharia before I found people like this who could really help me to figure out how I'm going to do this thing. But one of the amazing things about these kind of people is that uh, you spend a little bit of time with them and it has a great benefit. It feels like more, you know. One of the, one of the reasons why we... We had a break, obviously, because we were in Mecca and Medina. Alhamdulillah, the trip was wonderful. And then after Mecca and Medina, uh, the teachers in the majlis, and then also Shireen, Sheikh Fuad's wife, 
uh, we all came back and we left our kids and then we went to Egypt. And the, the reason we went to Egypt was essentially to try to see one or two of our teachers and spend a little bit of time with them. And I don't know how to explain it. Like three days does not feel like three days. Three days feels like three years. Like it really feels like that. And you know, may Allah give us uh, good people around us that can help us, inshallah. So we left off on point number 22. It says, be generous and content. The author says, Be generous and content even in times of scarcity. Be generous and content even in times of scarcity. <coughs> SubhanAllah, the world is an interesting place, you know. Um, when you go to Medina, you see things that are really interesting. And one of them is that you find these people who they've essentially picked up their lives and left everything to come and clean the Masjid Nabi. They make very little money. Right? Life is very, very simple. Work is kind of at times difficult, at times not so difficult maybe, but the hours are long. And you can see the fatigue on their faces and everything. But they get to spend their whole day in the masjid of the Prophet So they've, a, they've made a choice in a sense, right, about what matters to them. When we were in Egypt, we were, uh, there was a scene that stuck in my head was we, we were at some point close to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is extremely beautiful, subhanAllah. It's, it's really amazing. It's, it's just really beautiful. The water is like very clear. There's reef. They have these like, these resorts have these um, piers, I guess we call them wharfs. And, uh, a pier that you can walk out on. You can just, the water is very shallow. So you, you can walk out on this pier and you can just look at the reef and you see the fish and stuff. It's very beautiful. And there's this man who was sitting there, clearly Egyptian. Probably has very little in life, you know. But he's sitting on this kind of broken chair and he's just watching like the ocean, you know? <laughs> and I was just thinking to myself like, SubhanAllah, it's so beautiful, you know? It, someone could, it, it reminded me of this story. There's a, I'll probably butcher it, but there's a story of a, 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 like a fisherman who is on the ocean front in like Mexico or somewhere, you know? Beautiful ocean front, beach and everything. And this guy came and visited, he's from like a business school or something. And he's like, oh, you know, you could do this. And you, could, you just fish, what do you do? He's like, I just fish every day. I go out on my little boat. I fish a little bit of fish. And I go home and we eat it as a family and we're, we have enough, you know? And he's like, yeah, but if you had like a little bit bigger boat, you could fish a little bit more. He's like, okay, then what? He's like, then if you caught a little bit more fish, you could sell a little bit of fish. And he's like, okay, then what do I do with that? He's like, then if you had a little bit of profit, you could hire someone else and you can make even more. He's like, and then what would I do? And he takes him through like all these steps, right? <laughs> he's like, at the end of all these steps, what is the conclusion? He's like, and then you would have this big business and you would have enough money and people are working for you and everything else. And then you can go to the store and buy your fish <laughs> and cook it at night and sit with your family, you know? And he's like, I'm doing that already. You know, why do I, I don't have to do all of this stuff in order to get to the point that I'm at already. I, I'm just, I'm already here. But there's this, uh, like the man was, I'm just looking at this man and I'm like, subhanAllah, because you meet so many people when you travel places. They're like, take me to America. Can you get me to America somehow? Can you get me a visa to America? 
I'm like, yeah, first of all, not really. It's been, it's kind of hard to do that after 9-11, that whole situation changed. But it's difficult to do that, you know? And like, if you worked really hard, you'd be going on a family vacation to sit in the same spot that you're sitting in right now. Like all these people work super hard so they can go on a vacation and sit where you're sitting right now, you know? It's like a really, um, the world is amazing, subhanAllah. Uh, may Allah help us to <coughs> not get lost in these things. So be generous and content even in times of scarcity. Point is, be generous and content even in times of scarcity. One day the following dialogue occurred between a man and Junaid al-Baghdadi. There's a lot of interesting things to learn from this dialogue. Between a man and Junaid al-Baghdadi. The man said, what is futuwa according to you? Junaid said, if we are deprived from something, we show patience. If we are given something, we thank Allah. Okay, so the man comes to him and says, what's futuwa? It's noble character, what is it to you? He said, if we are deprived, we show patience. And if we are given something, then uh, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The man said to him, the dogs in our village do the same. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> he said, that's what the dogs do. The dogs do that. If they don't have food, they're patient. If they, don't, if they get something, they share it with each other. Like, how is this noble character? You're just saying that something that animals do, right? So then Junaid said, okay, so what is Futuwa according to you? <coughs> the man said, if we are deprived from something, we thank Allah. If we are given something, we distribute it to other people. Hmm? So the first one was, if we are deprived, we show patience. And if we are given, we show gratitude. He said, that's what the dogs do. He said, okay, so what is it according to you? He said, if we are deprived of something, we show gratitude. And if we are given something, we distribute it. <laughs> Amazing, huh? It's a very interesting interaction for a number of reasons, actually. The most important reason why this is a very interesting interaction is because Junaid is Imam al-Ta'ifa. He's the Imam of the Qawm. Like, what does this mean? It means in Aqidah we have Imams. We have Abu al-Hasan al-Ash'ari. We have Abu Mansur al-Maturidi. We have Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. These are like the Imams of Aqidah. You choose one of their schools, you follow their school, you're good to go. Okay? In Fiqh, we have Imams. For Sunnis, we have Abu Hanifa, we have Manik, we have a Shafi'i, we have Ahmed ibn Hanbal. You follow one of them, you're good to go in fiqh. Right? Do this, don't do that. In spirituality, they always say, in spirituality, the Imam is Junaid. He's the Imam. It's him, like the one in the story. He's the Imam. He's, he's like the guy when it comes to spiritual refinement and rectification and all of these kind of things. Now someone might hear that and be like, well, that kind of puts a question mark on him, you know, in like a very Western sense. We would say, well, that kind of, like he should have known that, right? The person who's an imam in this field doesn't know it, isn't the imam only because they know everything. They're the imam because of who they are. <clears throat> what does that mean? It means in the realm of spirituality, they always talk about going on the path. When you go on the path, you're on a journey. You don't just like get there and you're done. It's a, it's a, it's a never-ending journey, essentially. The person is always growing. 
and their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what makes him the Imam is not necessarily that he has the answer to everything. What makes him the Imam is look at the way he responded. Right? Most people, if they're the Imam, and I don't mean like the Imam of the Masjid, I mean like the Imam of the world. Right? He's the Imam of the Ummah in this field. And someone comes to him and asks him a question in his field. And he answers the question in his field. And the guy tells him what? That's what the dogs do. What would the normal response be? <laughs> you get like a little bit offended, right? A little bit offended, a little bit defensive. Like, do you know who you're talking to? He didn't do any of that. He didn't try to like re-explain it. No, this is what I meant. Let me give another angle to it. He didn't try to do any of that. This man came to him, he asked him the question, he got the response that he got. And he said, okay, then you tell me. Like, not, and not in like a, uh, a challenging way. Or in like a, okay, if you know better, then you tell me. No, he's actually asking like, subhanAllah, this man has clearly, by his answer, he has some insight. Right? So what is Junaid thinking? We can imagine a little bit. He's thinking, this man has some insight. Let me ask him. Maybe he has a better answer than the one that I gave, right? And then the man gives his answer and he gives an amazing answer. And he accepts it. So everyone is going on like a journey, so to speak. Even, even people who, like I can think of people who I consider them to be teachers. <coughs> and I think about them five years ago and I think about them today. And alhamdulillah, may Allah continue to protect them and increase them. And they are not the same people they were five, five years ago. Like every interaction is different than it was. Not, not that the other ones are bad. They're just different. Like it's just better. You know, the person's better, they're stronger, they've grown, they've increased. Right? So even Junaid, radiallahu anhu, he's the imam. He's the imam because he's going to keep growing. Radiallahu ta'ala He's going to keep growing. The author says, if we were forced to choose just one word to replace futuwa, it would most likely be generosity. Generosity is a quality of people who enjoy giving. People who enjoy receiving more than giving cannot be generous. For to be generous, one must first cleanse the heart from stinginess, selfishness, jealousy, and love of wealth. Therefore, generosity goes hand in hand with the extremely important virtue of contentment. So if someone's going to be generous, they have to be free from stinginess, selfishness, jealousy, and love of wealth. How do they get free from all of those things? Is they have contentment. Actually, what I have is enough. And I'm okay with it. One of the things that's really interesting about the Prophet وسلم, you see it if you read in between the lines. They say that the Prophet وسلم, for example, never saw in a single meal like a full loaf of bread and a, and a like, big serving of meat. Unless he was invited. Unless he was invited. So what is it saying? His personal practice, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is to you know, I, I'm going to suffice myself with as little as possible. But he doesn't do that in such a way that he's forcing that on other people or shaming other people or anything like that. Because when he's invited, they put whatever they put in front of him, he'll eat from it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he might even eat to his fill, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. By the way, to his fill means one third, one third, one third. That's not to, his, not to our fill. <laughs> to, his, to the sunnah fill, which is one third, one third, one third. So he might even eat that much, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And then when he's in his personal life, it won't be that way. Right? Why? Because how do I have this contentment? How do I train myself on this contentment? Is to have as little as possible. Remember one brother, subhanAllah, they told me about him. He passed away, Allah I know his son. And, uh, mashallah, he had many, many good qualities, this man. But uh, I remember one time before, shortly before he passed away, we were in the masjid together at Fajr time, and he was there. And he was standing for Salat in Fajr, and you could tell it's very difficult for him to stand in Salat. It's very difficult for him to make sujood. But like, he's going to stand, and he's going to make a rukur, and he's going to make sujood as long as he possibly can. Rahimahullah. One of the things that I was told about him, and I've, I think I've said this before, you know, he was a physician, mashallah, he was very comfortable, very well off, um, you know, did well in his field and so on, had bought a home for his family. He, he bought a home for his family, he probably bought it cash, you know, just because I would assume, I can't remember if I knew that piece or not, but I would assume that he bought it cash. Like, okay, we'll live in this apartment, especially because he has a high income, mashallah. We'll live very simply for five, six, seven, eight years. And we'll save all the money, then we'll buy the house cash, so we don't have to worry about it, right? Uh, so he, he had his home. They said, you go to the home, there's very little in it, except for maybe like what the family needs to be comfortable. And then when he passed away, it took them like no longer than half an hour to go through all his stuff. <laughs> you know, they like went to his closet. His closet was like nothing was there. A few things, a few items, everything else, nothing was there. This was his whole life. Yeah. So he, he bought these things and he gave these things and donated to things and so on and so forth to help other people. But he himself, his personal life, a couple of outfits they fit in the closet, a couple of probably pieces of paper that are important, maybe some books that are probably given to his children, you know, it's done. So it's very simple, it's, it's serious commitment to the Sunnah of the Prophet. As we said, this is not meant to. Uh, because like guilt tripping is such an essential part of our Muslim culture, unfortunately, anytime you bring up stuff like this, the immediate response is people feel really guilty, they feel shame, they feel all these kinds. Of, it's not the point. The point is to understand the Sunnah of the Prophet and take steps towards it as best as we can. Everyone's circumstances are different, but they develop this rida, this contentment in their heart. And then that, if that's the case, then they're able to be generous. If that's the case, then they're able to be generous. <coughs> there was something I was going to say about this, but I forgot what it was. As we can see from the dialogue above, the feta is generous and contented, not only in abundance, but also in times of scarcity. Being generous and contented is one of the basic rules of Futuwa ethics. Being contented in abundance is a good virtue. But being contented in times of scarcity is an even greater virtue. That's not easy. The Prophet them when people would, sometimes people would come to him, they'd ask him for things, and he didn't have anything to give them. He would tell them, go to the marketplace and take it out on my name. It's a high level, you know. It's not that everyone should do this, okay? Don't like max out your credit cards for other people and stuff like that. But he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would do that. He, he wouldn't say no. So if they come, either he give them dua, or he tell them, like, give them some advice. He tell them, go take whatever you need and put it on my tab. And then he would, he or someone else would pay it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
As for how much one can give, the Fatah always gives in proportion to what he has because he knows that whoever does not give from a little will not give when he is rich. And this is an important principle. Uh, the, the issue is not like, I'm going to wait till I have such and such and then I'm going to give. But you, we give in proportion to what we have. So if we have very little, we still give. Okay, I'm going to give one dollar. Cash, by the way, made this, it was a lot easier. Many things were much better when it was cash. Yeah. Cash made this a lot easier. If you have a little bit of cash, you have a few dollars, you just take the dollar out, you drop it in, you feel like, alhamdulillah, it's easy to do. You know, When everything is by credit, it's different. Like you're putting this thing in. You're, sometimes it's better in a way because you don't feel it the same way. Like, you just add like some numbers and you're like, okay, alhamdulillah. <laughs> but it's, uh, cash was like easy. And, and they used to do it. Like if from the, from the, they say from the etiquettes of Jummah, Ibn Taymiyyah, I think it was, used to do this, rahimahullah, that they would carry money in their sleeve. I don't know what their sleeves are like, because you hear a lot of stories about things happening in people's sleeves, <laughs> like the, in the old books. So they'd carry money in their sleeve, and then on the way to Jummah, he would like take it out and give it to poor people along the way. You know, um, But that's a good thing. And also these communities were very mixed, not like the U.S. is usually. You know, in, in these communities, the poor and the poor and the wealthy are side by side. Everyone knows what to do with everything all the time. I told you when we were in Gambia during Ramadan, and we had to do zakat al-fitr, right? So we asked the imam, we're like, can you, uh, like, who do we, what do we do for zakat al-fitr? And he looked at us like we were crazy. <laughs> we we're like, yeah, what do we do? He's like, what do you mean? We're like, do we give it to you? Do we give this? And then he got even more confused. He's like, I don't understand. There's poor people. You give them the zakat al-fitr. <laughs> you just walk in the street and you give it to the people that you can tell they need it. You know, I was like, Subhanallah, this is uh, Islam in America. Like usually, you come to the masjid, everyone gives it to the masjid. The masjid tries to distribute it on time. It's hard to do. You know, it's its own. It's its own scene, right? Depending on where you live. As we can see from the dialogue above, everything else, whatever I said, uh, they give according to proportion, which is the point. You give according to proportion. If a person is not giving because they're waiting till they have money, they probably aren't going to give so much when they have money. And, uh, you know, may Allah help us. May Allah help us. There is merit. I, I, I've, I've noticed something in the community, and I, and I understand it at some level, but we have to be careful with it too. There's a lot of sentiment around like, well, we've been giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, and it just goes, right? Uh, yeah, like historically, a lot of things were built with endowments. They weren't built with donations, with sadaqah. Sadaqah is different than an endowment. Right? Endowment would be someone who's very wealthy, they have a business, they die. They say, after I die, this business, all of the profit forever goes to institution X. That's how all of these things were built. It wasn't built off like the regular person's $100 here, $100 there. Um, $100 here, $100 there was usually more for like the poor. That's where your sadaqah would go, right? Institution building is happening through endowments. So I understand people are looking at it like we've given millions of dollars into these institutions and like they just run, you know. It's fine. At the same time, if we have a lot of money, as that one congresswoman said this thing, she said, you don't become a billionaire in America without oppressing somebody. <laughs> like, part of the reason we give donations is not just so that they're good financial investments. 
that's not, alhamdulillah, that's a, you know, it's obviously we want money to be managed properly, we want there to be a man, and we want all of those things, but uh, like sometimes we just need to donate because our money needs to be purified, and it's good if it's purified, and you know, alhamdulillah, I made X amount of money, and I need to give some of it up because otherwise, uh, you know, I need something to come for me on the Day of Judgment. And you see how these things work together? That if a person has a rida bin qadil, they have a contentment with a little bit, it enables them to be more generous. Right? What I think happens in America now, especially, is that as long as a person's income increases, their cost of living increases. Right? So it's not like they become more generous, it's just that their life becomes more expensive. <laughs> so their, their, their leftover money is the same. Yeah? The lefto- leftover money they had when they made 50000 is the same as the leftover money they had when they made 100000 It's the same. Right? Because everything in, the, everything in the way of life just became more and more and more and more and more until there was still nothing left. So you, but then you see people like Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. Now these people, their wealth would increase and their life would stay exactly the same. Their life was the same. Because they had what they needed, everything was fine. And may Allah give us tawfiq. While Islamic law recognizes your right to ownership and personal property, it has specific instructions on how much should be given away as mandatory, mandatory alms, zakat. Islamic ethics goes further, on, further to highlight that you are only allowed to use and consume as much as you need from all of the thims, things that you own. Everything beyond your needs should be distributed to the benefits, benefit of society. It's not necessarily a wajib issue, but that's uh, an ethics issue. Then you have all kinds of delusion that happens. You know, some people are like, well, I work so hard, and I made this thing, and I did this thing, and so on and so forth. A lot of people work really hard. A lot of people work really hard. And they don't get a whole lot. You know? And a lot of people don't really work hard at all. And they still get a lot. And the issue is not uh, who has more or who has less. The issue is, whatever I have, I have some responsibility to other people as a result of this thing that I have. And uh, as we talked about before, societies, we're collectives. There's wealth that comes into a collective, there's wealth that leaves from a collective. There's people who are going to be more comfortable, there's people that are going to need help. That's always the case. That's the way that it works. Um, On this point, I think it's good to reflect at this moment in time, everything that's happening in Palestine and boycotts and all of this kind of stuff, that we as a community really should be less dependent on a whole lot of other things. And, you know, one of the things that made me happy when we visited Colombia and South America was that we would be in people's homes and we look at like the regular everyday products of their homes, right? And many of the regular everyday products are actually made in Colombia and produced in Colombia. And I was really happy about that, you know? Like, why do I have to use some random shampoo in some other place and give them my money? (laughs) <laughs> like as a community we can't produce shampoo we can't produce soap we can't produce clothes we can't produce garments we can't produce fabrics like why does why does all of our money have to go somewhere else 
have so much, so much wealth, so much influence, so much resources, so much intelligence, so much sophistication, so much success, mashallah, amongst our people. Why are we giving our money to other people? Is that saying that we should have like uh, contentment with useless products and bad service and stuff? No. But if you feed a market, it will improve, you know. So, uh, you know, may Allah help us. A lot of money. About all the money that we spend on things. Now that people are trying to stay away from products that were uh, support Israel and stuff, you see that it's like people start realizing, oh, subhanAllah, like I use this thing and this thing and that thing. So, it is narrated that a woman asked Al-Layth ibn Sa'ad for a small amount of honey. He gave her a jar of honey. So people asked him, why did you give her a jar while she only asked for a small amount? He said, she asked for as much as she needs, and we gave as much as we can. Hmm, that's an interesting one. She asked for as much as she needs, and we gave as much as we can. Hmm. SubhanAllah. Al-Layth ibn Sa'ad, by the way, he's also buried in Egypt. He's one of the hundreds and thousands of awliya who are buried in Egypt. Al-Layth ibn Sa'ad was uh, a mujtahid imam in the time of the four imams. So Al-Layth ibn Sa'ad was, uh, <coughs> they say, كان أفقه من الشافعي, that his, he was actually even stronger in fiqh than Imam al-Shafi'i was. So he's a high level, high, high level scholar. He's a famous one they always talk about in the books because they say, so then the question always comes, so what happened? Now, why don't we have his opinions? Why don't we have his madhab? Stuff like that. He said because his students didn't serve him the way that the students of the imams serve the imams. Like the students of the imams, they worked really hard. Uh, Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he recorded all of the statements that he could find of Imam Abu Hanifa the way that people recorded hadith. So how do you have the madhab? You have the madhab because of that, because of that effort. You know? And he was only 18 when the imam died. He was he's his top student, his number two student. Abu Yusuf is number one, Muhammad ibn Hassan is number two. He's a mujtahid in his own right. He could have been his own imam, but he chose to serve the, serve the madhab of his imam. It was very interesting stuff. Al-Layth ibn Sa'ad, on the other hand, he didn't have students who did that. Why am I mentioning all of this? To understand. These people were people who combined. They combined between the reality of the religion and the externals of the religion. And he was a scholar of the externals of the religion. And he was an exemplar in that regard. And the greatest of all of history. And this is the way that he lived. The woman asked for some honey, he gave her the jar. And he was able to say this in response. Right? Last but not least, being generous also means adopting one of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is known as the most generous and kareem. And remember, Allah is generous to those who are generous to His creatures, His creation. Uh, they say, The idea is that there are attributes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in His names. We want the ones that are appropriate to do so, we want to try to embody those. Okay? So one of those would be being kareem, being generous. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is an kareem, and we want to be kareem. Mashallah. There's a brother who took care of us when we came to Egypt. Uh, just for the few hours, him and his wife, mashallah, they really took care of us. And um, his name is Kareem. So I'm remembering that, subhanAllah. 
I told him when afterwards, I told him, now they say that in, in Arabic, like you are you are named you are named according to what you are. Right? You're named according to what you are. MashaAllah, they were very very, very generous with us. Like amazingly. They they, they got a they rented a microbus and picked us up at the airport. You know, like not just because there were several of us. They picked us all up. They put all the luggage in. And they had to reserve the guy for the night because it was nighttime. And we wanted to do certain things. You can't really do them at night usually. But they had arranged with the people uh, who, like, take care of these places. Like, we wanted to go to the burial place in the masjid of Ibn Atta'ala, second day, Rahimahullah. And then there's other people that are buried close by there. So... Uh, they arranged, like they called, they found out who's the, who's the person who takes care of this place that stays there. And they went through the trouble to call him and to tell him we're going to be there, but it's going to be like midnight, you know, can you be awake? Can you take care of it? So on, so they took care of it, alhamdulillah. It was really beautiful. And there was one special moment in all of it, which was, uh, for me, it was very special for, for uh, Sheikh al-Muslimah. Just that from the places around that area where all these righteous people are buried, there's a place called the Khalwa of Sayyidina Nafisa. Sayyidina Nafisa was this pious woman, you know. She was from the teachers of Imam Shafi'i. And she was known to be uh, very strong in her worship and her piety, that her dua was answered, all of these things. Imam Shafi'i held her in such high regard. And she wouldn't really leave her home very much in her older years. But he held her in, in very high regard. So his, his um, request was that when he dies, that he's taken, to, basically they pray the janazah outside her house so that she can join the janazah. Because it's very important to her that she, she prays on him. You know, it's very important to him, I mean, sorry. So from the things that's in that area is, the, is like this little, it's really amazing. It's like a little room, little half circle room. And it's just a musalla and there's like a mihrab and it's like her place. She, it's like where she would worship. She would seclude herself and worship there. And uh, subhanAllah, the, the, the guy was there, so he was able to open it, and like we were able to go in and like pray there. And it was really cool uh, to feel like this is where this pious woman used to pray. So alhamdulillah, they did all of that for us. Kareem and his, uh, his wife. Uh, Allah bless them and increase them and accept for them and give them all kinds of openings. He has some important exams right now. May Allah give him tawfiq. And make things easy, inshallah. Alright, 24. Offer food and give gifts wholeheartedly. Offer food and give gifts wholeheartedly. Abdullah bin Salam reported that the Prophet said, O people, greet one another, feed people, strengthen the ties of kinship, and be in prayer. When others are asleep, you will enter Jannah in peace. This hadith it said that this is one of the first things the Prophet said when he came to Medina. He said, It rhymes in Arabic, it's very beautiful. He said that, uh, Say salam to one another, feed people, take care of your family relations, pray when people are asleep, and you will enter paradise. One of the most basic characteristics of Futuwa is generosity, and one of the most important aspects of generosity is sharing. Sharing makes the people of Futuwa happy. There are various manifestations of generosity, but the most important of all is offering food. The Prophet ﷺ used to serve food to his guests in his house. 
who would also advise his companions to greet people they know and even those they do not know and to offer food. One of the best forms of hospitality is to serve the food that the person prepared himself in his own home to his guests. This is the ideal way. Uh, again, we talked about before, when you make this too hard, you no longer want to do it. And this is, our cultures are generally very generous, mashallah, but sometimes too much so to the point that it becomes prohibitive. So it's so hard to invite someone that I don't want to invite anyone anymore. But actually what you see from the righteous people and definitely from the mashayikh and stuff like that, may Allah forgive us and help us, is that their doors are always open. Everyone's coming through. Like some of the, the especially when they get older and stuff, you see it. With the mashayikh, like, it's like their house is just, it's like it's a public space. <laughs> Everyone's coming through all the time. And everyone who comes through is getting fed. All of them are getting fed, everyone's getting fed. Are they getting fed something like unbelievable? No, they're just getting fed something. It doesn't have to be like the most gourmet meal or something like that. Actually, I like something. I was at um, uh, Donor Ulum yesterday, Mufti Shakib's place for Fajr. And after Fajr, it was really nice. One of the uncles, he made some like milk tea, you know? And everyone who was there, they had, they had the tea and they rolled out the little rug and they want to do some generosity, right? But there's not really anything there. So, so they bring the tea and they bring like a little box of those like Nature's Valley, Nature Valley granola bars. And they dump out the box and start distributing the box of granola bars to everyone. But they, someone, everyone was getting something, right? It was like this, the spirit of generosity was there. Um, so ideally, even when people come, we serve them from our own food. Not that we ordered out, and there's nothing, it's not bad, alhamdulillah, it's all generosity. But the, the best thing is actually to serve people with our own food. Uh, and then the, the even best thing is for everyone to be so easygoing about it that everyone's happy about it regardless. It's like, okay, I came to your house and you served me some rice with like some cut up cucumbers. Alhamdulillah, it's a beautiful meal. At least we get to enjoy it together. And it came from your hands. And there's a barakah in that that doesn't come from the food that's outside and so on, right? For those of them in the seminary, you know that this came up in one of the texts in the seminary, right? Uh, the Imam, Imam Zarnuji, in that time, he said that from, from the things the student of knowledge should do is that they should limit their eating outside. He said because eating outside is closer to najasa and it's more distant from the dhikr of Allah and there's less blessing in it, so they should try to eat from inside. <laughs> Yeah, you know, sometimes people don't like these things, but truth is truth. Um, it's definitely going to be more likely to be clean. It's definitely more likely to have the dhikr of Allah on it. It's definitely more likely to have love and all of these things if it comes from someone you know. It's just this reality of it. You go to a restaurant, you get the food, the workers mistreated, they're working extra hours, they don't make enough to pay their bills, they're really frustrated, they're sick, all of these things, they had to come anyways. They made your food. It's going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. You know. Allah help us. Uh, serve the food that a person prepared himself in his own home to his guests. Another manifestation of sharing and generosity is giving gifts. Giving gifts is a sunnah. Our beloved Prophet said, Give gifts to one another and you will love one another. Tahadu tahabu. It's a jawab, jawab, uh, jawab talab. That if you give these gifts, he's telling us, give gifts. And he's saying, if you give gifts, you will love each other. So it's like, 
They come from one another. He also loved to give gifts and he gave generous gifts to people he knew and people he did not know. Again, some of the shaykh were like this. Shaykh al-Husri had said about him, Rahimahullah, you know the great Qari, Shaykh al-Husri, he, uh, he used to have crates of musahif delivered to his home. Like crates. Why? Because he's giving them out as gifts. And so many people would come to visit him, and every person that came to visit him, they leave with a mushaf. you imagine? You leave with a mushaf, but you left with a mushaf that came to you from Shaykh al-Husri. It was like, I always call him the undisputed heavyweight champion of Qur'an in the last hundred years. You know, he's, he's the man. Uh, you have a Husri, Qur'an that came from an Husri. You know, everyone had, uh, so they would give gifts like this. Giving gifts is superior to giving charity. Our Prophet ﷺ and his family never received charity, but they accepted gifts. We know this, right? From the Sunnah of the Prophet, he doesn't take charity, but he'll take a gift. He doesn't take charity, but he'll take a gift. <coughs> Our Prophet ﷺ never did that. In addition, giving a gift does not humiliate the recipient as charity does, because the gift is given to everyone, whether in need or not, but charity is given to the poor only. It's not necessarily humiliation, but like, it's not the same, right? It's not the same. For this reason, even while giving zakat, it would be more appropriate to give heartedly in the form of a gift. But one of the things about giving zakat is you don't have to tell the person you're giving them zakat. If you, you know that they are in need of zakat, and you can give them this money without them knowing that, but you make the intention, of course, to do a zakat. In an American law perspective, gifts are also good from a tax line, tax side. <laughs> you up to a certain limit, you don't have to claim them as income, right? So, uh, this is also something to consider. Uh, giving gifts and offering food are external acts of worship. It is therefore important to emphasize that they should not be done with an inner feeling of reluctance. Instead, the feta enjoys sharing and giving. When he offers food and gives gifts, he does so wholeheartedly. In fact, he follows the examples of prophets and companions who even felt sad if they did not receive guests for some time. It is said that Ali ibn Abi Talib was sad and cried as he prayed to Allah when for a period of seven days his home was not graced by a guest. He sought forgiveness as he assumed that not being granted a guest was a punishment for a sin he had unknowingly committed. That's really interesting, huh? Really interesting. I didn't have any guests for seven days. So he's crying, he's upset, making toba. And what have I done that I have no guests? My house does, doesn't, have the, doesn't have the blessing of a guest. What have I done? I've done something wrong. I need to get this right. Oh, subhanAllah. Which brings us to 25, which we'll do next time. Let your generosity and goodness surround all people equally without discrimination. Inshallah, we'll do that one next time. Hadha wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam wa sallam alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. We're on 25. I think there's like something like 40, right? What was 23? Yeah, there's 40. 23 was... There's no 23. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Go to 22, 24. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened there.
Maybe it's a mistake. Um, but I think they were listed in the beginning. Aren't they listed in the beginning? Someone has the book, they might see it. I can't remember who it was on our, on our, on our trip, actually. 22 in the picture? What's 22 in the picture? Be generous, practice self-restraint, and contentment in times of need. Yeah. Three is value and remain faithful to the friendships you make. And what's 24? Uh, share food and gifts with others. Yeah. That's what's so 23 was missed. 23 was what? Okay. He didn't include it in the commentary. He must have missed it. Value and remain faithful to the friendships you've made. That's a good one. Maybe I'll, I'll try to share something about that next time, if you guys remind me. It shows it there, Farouk. Do you see it in verse? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's up. Can you pass it? Maybe it's a new version. Someone had this when we were in... Uh, in our travels, someone showed it to me. I was like, oh, Actually, I remember who it was now. I love you, this brother. Very interesting brother. He, uh, he has this international organization for Islamic psychology. It's like hundreds of people involved in it and all these different...